0: I've asked my son Evan to, uh, to read the text for us and I'm gonna invite him to come. Uh, Evan is, um, you'll need the Bible, right? <laughs> so Evan is uh, our, our firstborn, Evan, and Gideon is his brother and Lincoln is the, the youngest there and Evan is about to start his senior year, so... I know that there are a lot of people probably today and and they're either gonna watch it later if they do or they may be watching it online who are moving their kids into dorms this weekend. And um, I've been on the staff side of that procedure and so next year we will be on um, where you are. But uh, Evan, I've asked to read the text this morning.
1: Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he saw, said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answering, answering said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, Say it, teacher. A certain moneylender had two debtors, one owed five hundred denarii and the other fifty. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now which of them will love him more? Her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, Your sins are forgiven. And then then those who were at table with him began to say among themselves, Who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the women, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Thank you.
0: Thank you, Evan. I want to speak for a few moments on the kiss of grace. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. What's in a kiss? Now, I could take a show of hands. Who here likes to be kissed? That's good. I'm glad to see all of the married couples. That's, that's a good sign. <laughs> it's good. <laughs> Boys, just put that in <laughs> um, I like to be kissed. Uh, I still kiss my sons even though they're 17, 16, and 11. And I tell them often, I give them a big kiss on the cheek and I tell them, you know, you're just gonna have to put up with this. Um, I'm gonna be ancient and you're gonna be a, a man and, and it's still gonna happen. Um, <clears throat> I love to be kissed by my wife. I love to kiss my wife. And we'll just stop right there. That's just all you need to know. <laughs> but kisses are really an interesting thing, aren't they? I mean, that's, if, if, have you ever thought about what we're actually doing with a kiss? I mean, just think about this for a minute. You're taking your mouth, your lips, which typically we guard, you know, I, I like to look at the silverware before I eat at a restaurant, just kind of glance at it, make sure, you look, look at the glass, you know, make sure it's all clean. And yet when I kiss, I don't know where my son's faces have been all day. <clears throat> it's, isn't it an interesting thing? We take some, with, and we let people put their mouths to us. It's a strange thing. I don't know where we got that idea, but it's what we do. But have you ever wondered what's in a kiss? What does it mean? When we kiss, we open up our arms and we become vulnerable and open. This is the visceral area. When we open our arms, we open up where we are vulnerable, where we could sustain serious, deadly injury. We open them to someone, and we embrace them. And it says to that person, I receive you, I see you, I affirm you, I embrace you, I trust you. This is why when Judas betrayed Jesus with a kiss, the kiss is what is so shocking. I mean, it was bad enough to betray Jesus, but to betray him with a symbol of affection and affirmation, a symbol of trust, is used to betray. That's why it's so shocking to us and, and hits us deeply. A kiss says, I see you, receive you, and affirm you. And in this story in Luke, which is one of the most touching stories of the gospel, and it's just it, Luke is a master storyteller and he takes this account that he has researched. Luke tells us that he himself wasn't an eyewitness, but when he opens it up, he says, I, hey, I interviewed people, I investigated, I looked into this in detail. Luke took all of this story and wove it together based on the eyewitnesses' accounts in a masterful way. And there's just layers upon layers upon layers that's going on in these couple of paragraphs. This short little episode in the life of Jesus. We find in this story, we find three kisses that take place and the three kisses are each related to three scandals and each scandal is prompted by what is seen and what is not seen. Now let me set the backdrop of this story, just very briefly. This takes place, of course, in first century Israel. Israel, as we know, the chosen people of God. God has said, I'll be your God, you will be my people, I will bless you, keep you, protect you. I just have some things here. Don't go after other gods. You know, be faithful to me alone, serve me only. Israel says, all that you have said we will do, then they didn't. Um, and before you know, we judge them too harshly, we look at our own lives, right? And so God said if you do these things you will suffer oppression, you will be conquered by uh, other nations, I will drive you into exile and that's exactly what happened. Eventually Israel returns from exile, they return from being scattered across the nations and they return to the lands, their, their, their homelands. But while they're there, they encounter only a brief period of time in which they are actually free from foreign domination. They were driven out, This the southern kingdom, the kingdom where Jesus is, uh, is ministering, the northern kingdom as well. The northern kingdom fell several hundred years before the southern kingdom, but the southern kingdom was driven to Babylon. They're the ones that returned from Babylon. After Babylon, or or, at the Babylon, they're under the Persian power. After the Persian power, they're under the Greek power, and they have a little, maybe a little more than a 100 years of independence. But the king that is reigning over them is not the king that's the seed of David, the promised king. The, the king that was promised to be the descendant, the one that, Jesus, that God would sit upon the throne forever is nowhere to be seen. His line is nowhere to be seen. It's a, some other authority that's reigning over them. And then eventually they fall into domination under Rome, which is where we come now with Jesus. They are now under another foreign power. They have to pay taxes to Caesar. They have to do what Caesar says. Caesar is in charge. But they have a hope, they have a hope. They have promises from the prophets for hundreds of years that have said, the day will come when Israel's God will return. Israel's God will reestablish David's son, and will set David's son upon the throne. And when Israel's God returns, Israel's sins will forever be forgotten and her fortunes will be turned and a new day will dawn upon the earth. This is the promise of the prophets. And this is what the people have been praying for for years upon years and even centuries. And this is where we come now. Now just before this encounter, we see a succession of startling events just before this episode. Going back, even just go to the front of chapter seven. Jesus comes along and heals a centurion servant at a centurion's request, a Roman centurion, a representative of the dominant oppressive power, comes, asks for Jesus' help, and Jesus heals by the word of his power. After that, he's going through the village of Nain, which is in the region of Galilee, and he sees a funeral procession with a weeping widow whose only son is being carried upon the the coffin, the casket, and Jesus stops the procession and touches the, the stretcher upon which the corpse is laid, and the young man comes to life. And then Jesus receives an emissary from the prophet John the Baptist. If you remember, John the Baptist is the one who said, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the deserts a highway for our God. The hills will be made low and the valley shall be made straight before the way of the Lord. This is the one that John said that baptized Jesus and said I'm not worthy to untie your shoes. Why am I baptizing you? Jesus says it is what must happen and so John or Jesus is baptized and the heavens open and the dove descends upon Jesus and John witnesses all these things but John has a moment of despair when he is in prison under Herod and he wonders is this Jesus the one because Jesus isn't doing some things that I thought. John is looking and he's remembering the words of the prophets that this Jesus would come and bring deliverance but he would also bring judgment, he would also make things right in the world and so he sends an emissary and says, I just need to know, I don't think I'm getting out of prison, are you the one or should we look for another? And I love how Jesus answers the question. He answers the question, he doesn't say yes or no. He says go tell John, what you have seen and what you've heard. The dead are raised, the lepers are cleansed, the blind have their sight restored. And blessed is the one who is not scandalized by me. And they go and take the story back. What is Jesus saying? Jesus is pointing back to John and saying, John, you know the prophets. The prophets have said that when these things happen, you will know that God is establishing his kingdom upon the earth. The kingdom of God is entering and things are about to turn around. And here we come now in this episode, okay? So what has happened is that a man by the name of Simon, who is a Pharisee, has invited Jesus to dinner. Now notice in this passage that Luke really wants us to understand how important this man is because he tells us that Simon is a Pharisee three times. He says, uh, look, at, he's, um, look at the beginning there, he says, one of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him and he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at table and later in the next couple lines down, it references again the Pharisee's house. Few lines down, the Pharisee saw this Luke wants us to get something. I think we're getting the point here. Pharisee is something we should notice. Well, what's going on with the Pharisee? If you've been around church much, you know that we like to pick on them. (laughs) They're they're the people that gave Jesus lots of trouble. Um, They were kind of uppity. They were kind of uh, self-righteous, a little bit legalist maybe. They They had the things figured out. But what's interesting about Pharisees is that There are several different groups in the time that Jesus ministered. And I won't go into all of their different beliefs, but let me describe a few things about the Pharisees' beliefs. Number one, the Pharisees believed that everything from Genesis through Malachi was the inspired word of God. Not all the Jewish religious groups thought that. The Pharisees did. The Pharisees believed that there were such things as angels and demons. Not all of the Jewish religious groups thought that. The Pharisees did. The Pharisees believed that God's promises would be literally fulfilled, that what God has said, God would do. Not all the Jewish groups thought that, but the Pharisees did. The Pharisees believed that there would be a literal resurrection of the dead. The dead would rise again. Not all the Jewish groups thought that, but the Pharisees did. If I was to compare the Pharisees to a religious group in the United States today, a What kind of Christians would I say the Pharisees most are like? Bible-believing. People who take God's word seriously, expect God to fulfill his promises literally, look for the resurrection of the dead. Sounds like, okay. So, I think we, yeah, now that we understand the Pharisees just a little bit, now let's take a look at this picture. The Simon the Pharisee, fine upstanding religious leader in the community invites Jesus to have dinner with him. Jesus comes this is probably a Sabbath dinner kind of after synagogue. Man it's just sounding more and more like us isn't it right? I mean how many are going out to eat after church today? So this is exactly the setting. You know come on over to my house after synagogue you know. Okay getting really similar and so they come and they're reclining on the table at pillow at the table on pillows or maybe sofa like things if if Simon was wealthy enough which helps understand what is about to happen because you know we sit at tables with chairs and I'm very grateful for that but um in this time they would either get down on the there would be mats placed in a table place and they would have pillows and they would recline on that sometimes if it was wealthy enough you'd have little raised divans uh adopting a, a, a Greek custom that you would recline on. So your head would be towards the table. Everybody's got their heads in towards the table. Your feet are laying out behind you. That visual should help you understand why what is about to happen happens, okay? Someone enters the scene. We don't know her name. Luke doesn't tell us her name, but he does tell us that she was a sinful woman and while he tells us that Simon was a Pharisee four times in this short passage Luke tells us that this woman was a sinful woman three times over and over again it's a sinful woman it's a sinful woman she's a sinful woman we don't know what her sinfulness was I know where some of your minds went but we don't know we don't know it maybe could have been but we don't know for sure What we do know is that she was notoriously sinful. The community knew she was sinful. Her sin was a social one. She was recognized by the society as sinful. She's on the outside. She's not in on, everybody's looking for the kingdom to come but we know that some people aren't going to get it because they are that kind. We know that there's going to be a move of God, but we're not expecting some people to get onto that move of God because they are, you know, sinful. She comes in and here we come to the first scandal, the first scandal and the first kiss. She comes in behind Jesus and she stands behind his feet and Luke says she begins to weep. Now, some commentators think that maybe she was intending to actually anoint the head of Jesus, which would not have been that strange. It's unusual, but not entirely that strange, particularly if someone recognized Jesus as a prophet or maybe the one sent by God. To have anointed his head would not have been that strange, but she stands behind his feet, and she begins to weep profusely, and if you can just let this scene play out in your mind, the way that Luke says in the Greek here, I mean, this she is weeping. She is I mean the tears are rolling so much that the tears splash down up on the bare feet of Jesus as she stands behind him Jesus with his head towards the table reclined with his feet out behind him she comes behind him Luke says and behold it's favorite phrase of Dr. Luke, and behold, what he says is this is something sudden, this is something unexpected. The sinful woman stands and her tears wet the feet of Jesus and you can just almost see that she notices that she's wet his feet, she's got her tears on him and maybe there's embarrassment there so she takes her hair, she doesn't have a towel, she takes her hair and begins to wipe her feet and then she is overcome with emotion and she breaks open this little flask of ointment we don't know what kind it was, but I can tell you that some ointments, a, a pound of nard would have been one kind of perfume. One pound of nard nard would have been a, a year's wage. She breaks open this little flask, it's, oil, it's perfumed oil, and she pours it upon his feet and begins to kiss his feet, and they are scandalized. Now, uninvited guests at a banquet in this setting is not all that uncommon. The poor might show up, hang out at the door, hope to get some leftovers. So people coming along and, hey, he's invited that prophet preacher guy, let's go check him out, and they're standing. That's not all that uncommon, but what is uncommon is for her to approach him and then to touch him. Now that, that crosses the line right there. As long as she stays on the sidelines, we're okay. As long as she's in the margins watching everybody have a grand time with the teacher, all is good, but she has crossed the line. She has come from the sidelines. She stepped away from the margins, and she has entered into, I'm sorry, this is not for you. There are some men who have been invited to this table, fine upstanding men at the community. We didn't invite you, sinful woman, to come to the table and yet she comes and she kisses his feet. I wonder why. I wonder what she's seen. I wonder what she's heard. She's seen something to make her do this scandalous act. Some have said that the mere bringing her hair down was very suggestive in the culture. Certainly kissing his feet was a definite no-no. What had she seen? Was she there when Jesus healed the centurion servant? Did she see that? Was she in the village of Nain when she saw the young dead man raised to life? Did she see maybe one of the other episodes? Was she there when the emissary from John came and Jesus said, look, the dead are raised, the blind see, the gospel is preached? Was she there? What did she see? I don't know exactly what it was, but something caught her eyes. She perceived more than what many others saw. This woman saw a series of outsiders coming from the outside into the middle of the situation and encountering the kingdom living power of God. And she saw that maybe, maybe if a centurion can get in on the kingdom, maybe if a dead man can get on the kingdom, maybe if a leper can get in the kingdom, maybe a sinful woman Can too. And she comes and she kisses his feet. She worships and she worships scandalously. She doesn't care. I listen, she's like, I'm already known by everybody as a sinful woman. What else do I have to lose? What kind of dignity do I have to keep up? (laughs) But what I also know is that I also know that this preacher from Galilee has been cleansing lepers and raising dead. And maybe, this is my moment, and she worships scandalously. Don't ever let anybody push you to the sides and tell you that this is not your house. Don't ever let anybody push you to the sides and say this kingdom stuff is only for the privileged because the truth is Jesus has flung the doors of the kingdom wide open and he said to everybody, come on in. So worship scandalously. I can't help but think of the song that was was all the rage several years ago, C.C. Winans' You weren't there the night he found me. You did not feel what I felt when he wrapped his loving arms around me. You don't know the cost of the oil in this alabaster box. She worships scandalously. But there's a second scandal, and it's a scandal of a kiss refused because there were people there not at all happy with what's happening, particularly the host. Uh, You know, who wants to have people mess up your party? Right? I mean, you work so hard, you have an image to uphold, you set everything up, and then people just come in and mess it up. And this is exactly what happens here. Simon is not pleased and he stands there and he looks at this situation he sees the woman doing this the text says and Simon saw this and said within him his heart now if this man was a prophet he would have known what kind of woman is touching him simon apparently has been looking for reasons to disregard jesus He's just been looking for the reason. I'm looking, I'm looking for the reason to cut him out, to cross him off. You know, some, you, you, he's a pessimist. <laughs> some people like, you know, look, look at things that half full, the glass is half full. They're looking for reasons to believe. Simon is looking for a reason to not believe. And he finds it. There's two things here. Number one, if he was a prophet, he would have known. God would have told him. He'd have seen He's not a prophet. Secondly, no prophet of any standing would allow a woman like that to touch him, and certainly not in public. So Simon concludes, he's not a prophet. And then Jesus, this is hilarious, Jesus says, Simon, I have something to say to you. And Simon says, say on, teacher. Which is a little bit of a backhanded comment. In Luke's gospel, it's non-disciples who refer to Jesus as teacher. And Simon has already concluded he may be a teacher, but he's no prophet of God. Say on, teacher. And then Jesus proceeds to reveal that he is a prophet (laughs) by reading Simon's heart. He knows exactly what Simon has said inside. And he said, Simon, there's two. <clears throat> there, were, there was a guy, a, uh, a lender, who had two people, one owed 50, one owed 500. It's equivalent to one owed two months of wages, another owed one and a half to two years of wages. And the lender canceled the debt of both. So Simon, which do you think loved the most? Uh, Simon knows he's caught. Jesus, The teacher has flipped the tables and he's read Simon's mail. He's revealed to Simon, maybe there is some prophetic ability in Jesus. As he's read it out and Simon says, well, and the Greek bears this out great. He's like, well, I suppose the one with the bigger debt. And Jesus says, correct, you are right. And then he says, when I came to your house, I noticed a couple things. You didn't wash my feet. You didn't anoint my head with oil. You didn't give me the kiss of greeting. Now, these things were not technically things that Simon had to do. But if he saw a value in Jesus, he would have. You can get by with not doing these things, but you wouldn't, do, you wouldn't ignore these steps if you thought you had someone important. Jesus says, you basically, Simon, you have shown me no love. And yet this woman has. And he says to Simon, do you see this woman? It's an interesting phrase, isn't it? Of course he saw it. That's what brought Simon's whole issue up. Jesus is saying, do you see? You think you saw, but you haven't really seen Simon. You haven't really seen what's going on here. You haven't really understood what is actually taking place here. And if you had understood, if you had really seen, then you would have shown the same love to me. Here's what's going on. Both of the debtors in the parable owe money. Now it's easy for us to think, hey, the one with the two years wages, they're really in trouble. Wow, that was a huge debt. I also kind of think, you know, if somebody owed me 5,000 or if I owed Someone $5,000, somebody owed $50. Yeah, If I can't pay $50, I feel like I'm more broke than if I can't pay $5,000. Does that make sense? The point is, it doesn't matter what the amount is. The fact is, neither can pay. Whether your bill is big or your bill is small, you can't pay. And Jesus says, what you haven't seen, Simon, is that this woman has seen, she has seen God moving, and she is here and experiencing it and pouring out her love. But you, Simon, you are missing out. Let me tell you, Simon, you have been longing and looking and praying for God to move. Just before this story begins, there was one little episode Right after, I I gave you all of the episodes right up until this point. I deliberately saved this little nugget for now. In chapter seven, you've got the centurion's son, you have the widow, or the centurion's servant, you have the widow's son, you have John send the emissaries. After Jesus sends John's emissaries back, he turns to the crowd and says, what did you go out to see, a reed shaking in the wind? Somebody in luxurious garments? He said, no, and then he says this strange little saying. He said, what will I compare this generation to? They're like children in the marketplace who get angry and say, we played a funeral dirge for you, but you wouldn't mourn. We played a dancing tune for you, but you wouldn't dance. Jesus says, but wisdom is justified in her children. What in the world, and then this happens. What is going on? Jesus has said, what will I compare this generation to? They are the brats in the marketplace who are angry because God doesn't go according to their tune. You want God to dance, but he is calling for repentance. You want God to call for repentance, and he's throwing a party. Jesus is saying, Simon... God doesn't dance to your tune. God doesn't do things, and listen, you, Simon, see this woman here? She has seen what you have not seen. She has embraced what you are about to miss. For all your life, you have been looking for the coming of Messiah. For all of your life, you've been preaching about it. You've been reading it. You've been reading the prophets, you've been praying for it every single day that Messiah would come. What I'm telling you, Simon, is that you, because you have decided how God will move and how God will act and how God will fulfill his promises, since you've mapped it all out, you are now risking missing it all. Because God will not dance to your tune. God will move the way that God chooses to move. God will do what God will do and you either get in on his party or you stand on the outside looking in. Simon, this woman has found the kingdom but you are about to stand outside in the cold and watch the party. How many people miss a move of God because they have it mapped out and God didn't do it the way they said? I've been a part of a church, not here, long time ago. Been a part of a church, been in a church where they had special rooms reserved for weddings that wouldn't allow prayer meetings. That the biggest complaints they had was after vacation Bible school when hundreds of kids came through the building and heard about Jesus and had the gospel preached to them, the thing you heard the most was how they put their feet on the back of the pews. That is an example of a church of a people that are about to find themselves standing in the cold. Simon begins as the host of this meal and Jesus is now saying, you're about to be in that cold. God is the host and you're about to miss it. How many of us miss a move of God because it isn't the way we want it to be? then Jesus looks at the woman and we come to the final scandal, the final kiss. And he says her sins that were many have been forgiven. And this is why she loves so much. This is why she loves so much. In this moment, Jesus doesn't return her with a physical kiss but he kisses her soul with grace. Grace that transforms. They're once again scandalized as Jesus allows this woman to touch him and then says to her, your sins are forgiven. Like who is this who forgives sins? And then Jesus looks at her and says, your faith has saved you, go in peace peace as we know for the Jews wasn't just an absence of conflict, it wasn't just a stillness, but it was a a special word that had a whole lot of meaning carried in it. It was a word that meant wholeness, security, everything present, nothing missing. Jesus looked at her and gave her the kiss of grace that transformed her soul. He said you saw the kingdom. You believed that the kingdom could be for you and guess what, it is, go your way. I believe this morning that there are some of you who are standing on the edge of something that God wants to do in your life You're standing on the threshold and you're wondering if the kingdom can be for you. And what I want you to know is that Jesus says yes. Jesus says yes, the kingdom is for you. The doors have flung wide open. It doesn't matter where you've come from. It doesn't matter where you've been. It doesn't matter where you've been through. It doesn't matter what happened last night or this morning. The kingdom is for you. You mean to tell me that the kingdom is for sinners? Yes. You mean the kingdom is is for cheaters? Yes. The kingdom is for liars? Yes. The kingdom is for thieves? Yes. The kingdom is for the broken? Yes. The kingdom is for the sexually messed up? Yes. The kingdom is for the ones who've blown it? Yes. The kingdom is for you. But what about the snobs? Listen, Jesus was there in Simon's house and his rebuke was also an invitation. He didn't say to Simon, you're out. He told him you're risking it. But the door was there. He was at Simon's table. So if you're a religious snob, the kingdom is for you. Go in peace. Can you believe? Can you believe that the kingdom is for you? If you can believe, then you can receive the kiss of grace that changes your life. Would you stand this morning I want to extend an invitation into the life-giving, free-flowing kingdom of God to three different people this morning. The first is for people who maybe identify with the sinful woman, and whether you, you, may, you may have people that know all about it or maybe it's just you. But in your heart this morning you say, I, I am a notorious sinner. Notorious. Sometimes I think it's the only thing I've actually done well is send it up. I know the feeling. As everyone would just bow your heads. I want you to fix in your minds this scene as Jesus is at the table. And you stand there feeling all of your condemnation and wretchedness. Jesus looks at you and says, I see you. I see you. I see who you really are. And I invite you to be part of my kingdom. And if that touches you this morning, I want you just wave at me say, Daniel, that's me, thank you, that's me. He sees you. The second group I wanna talk to are the religious snobs, (laughs) Simons. You've got things figured out, but this morning you've heard the Holy Spirit speak to you. Say, son, daughter, as long as you try to run this thing, you may very well miss the very thing you're looking for. As long as you try to decide how I do it, the thing you most hunger for, you may miss. As long as things have to meet your standards, you may very well miss what I'm doing. This morning, if you feel that tender conviction of the Spirit who says you're risking it, you're risking it, would you just wave at me and say, I identify with Simon. Thank you for your honesty. I've been there. I tell you, just the last couple weeks, I've been wrestling with God about that. I've been like, God, why do I set all these expectations and standards on everyone and on you. Maybe I should just relax and let you run the show. The third is for those who would say, I, I sense God pulling me to look around at my family or to look around at my community. And I wonder if you're saying, Lord, I see people that need the kiss of grace in my life. Can I be the one who gives that kiss? Let me read to you something from a man by the name of Ambrose, who was a bishop a long time ago, but I thought what he wrote on this passage was so beautiful. The church washes the feet of Christ, wipes them with her hair, anoints them with oil, and pours ointment on them. She not only cares for the wounded and caresses the weary, but she also moistens them with the sweet perfume of grace. She pours this grace not only on the rich and powerful, but also on those of lowly birth. She weighs all in an equal balance. She receives all into the same bosom. She caresses all in the same embrace. Christ died once, he was buried once. Nevertheless, he wants ointment to be poured on his feet each day. What are the feet of Christ on which we can pour ointment? They are the feet of Christ of whom he himself says, what you have done for one of the least of these, you have done for me. The woman in the gospel refreshes these feet She moistens them with her tears when sin is forgiven of the lowest of persons. Guilt is washed away and pardon is granted. The one who loves even the least of God's people kisses these feet. The one who makes known the favor of his gentleness to those who are frail anoints these feet with ointment. The Lord Jesus himself declares that he is honored in these martyrs and apostles. So the third group, you say, Daniel, I wanna extend the kiss of grace. I see Jesus upon the cross with his arms stretched wide, wide enough to embrace the world. There, my friends, on Calvary's cross, God extends the kiss of grace as he stretches his arms to embrace a world and kiss with grace that transforms. And he says to us as a church and as a people in this city, in Fort Worth, in this area, he says, join me and stretch wide your arms and trust me and kiss this city with grace. So Father, I lift these three people before you those of us who, God, we're notorious sinners. We know it, our family know it, the world knows it, heaven knows it. And God, I pray that right now, as they turn to you and they ask for you to cleanse them, to heal them, and to become Lord of their life, I pray that over them would flood a washing of your presence, a magnificent wave of grace, a sense of your forgiveness as they are right now released from every burden of guilt and shame, knowing that they are seen by the King and embraced. And I pray also the same for us religious snobs. Forgive us, Father. Forgive us for trying to control the show and make it our own way. Have mercy on us and let us too, like the sinful woman, let us be washed clean. Let your wave of grace roll over us and drive away that tendency to seek to control and raise those expectations and let us just flow in the kingdom. And for all of us, that this house of mercy the Bethesda Community Church. And here I want everybody to just, as we close out, just I want you to, as best you can, I know there's people all around, but just stretch your arms wide. And I want you to join Jesus in embracing this world, embracing your family, your friends, your neighbors, your neighborhood, your school, your community, this city. Embrace them with the love of God and with the kiss of grace this morning.